We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat. Jason, it's another bad day to be a Chicago sports fan. Oh, I know, man. Uh, Manny Machado spurning, spurning the White Sox, family members, friends, whoever the hell they. Well, I can't even. Don't even remember. I'm not even a White Sox fan. But I don't even remember who they signed to try to lure Manny Machado in. But he's going to the San Diego Padres. Ten years, three hundred million dollars. The White Sox. Would love to tell you how hard they tried and how close they came to signing Manny Machado, but they didn't do it. Ricky, what what's going on here? Please enlighten us. How are you feeling as a White Sox fan yourself about the White Sox missing out on this top top free agent? I mean, this is just typical, so typical of a Jerry Reinsdorf-owned team. No one was bidding for Manny Machado for like three months. The White Sox come in. Uh, based on everything that was reported with a totally low ball offer, an insulting offer of $175 million when they were well aware that Machado was looking for at minimum $300 million. So the situation just drags on and on, and the White Sox are sitting there thinking, you know, we can get a discount on this guy. We signed his friends over the offseason. They got John Jay and Yonder Alonso. They're thinking that, you know, they've created this environment where they can win the deal instead of going out and, like, you know, trying to win games or build a better team. It's so typical of a Reinsdorf on team. And then, of course, today, Machado signs with the Padres for $300 million. Now the White Sox are trying to spin it. Well, we offered him as much as $320 million if he hit these certain incentives. Well, guess what, White Sox? We really only offered him $250 million. And then you just tried to get a bargain on him this entire way through. I half expected Gar Foreman to come out today and talk to White Sox reporters and tell them that, you know, we make tens of decisions every year that you guys just wouldn't understand. Well, instead it was Kenny Williams. And I guess Rick Hahn talked too, but I saw the Kenny Williams quote about how like, oh, we weren't willing to go to 300 million because uh, like we, w- we need to fill out like a, our total roster, blah, blah, blah. Except like whatever, like the eight for 250 is like higher annual value anyways. And then if you're doing this stuff with the weird incentives, like, when he's like 33, 34, like obviously he's going to turn that on. Why wouldn't he just go to 300 guaranteed money? Like obviously he wanted the guaranteed money. Like spinning stuff, usual, that's just a like classic nonsense. That's got to be very frustrating. Again, I am a Cubs fan. So like, I mean, I've had the Cubs have their own problems uh, with Tom Ricketts' quotes the other day and all the nonsense that they're dealing with as well because they weren't even in on Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. 
uh, which is annoying. But yeah, that's just frustrating stuff to see. And uh, we've obviously dealt with this between the Cubs, the White Sox here, the Bulls and all that crap. Just very annoying. Yeah, all I know is that I've been going to White Sox games the last couple of years. Uh, and there is like two or 3,000 people in the stadium. Basically, you buy the cheapest ticket to get into the park. It's $7. You sit wherever you want. You can basically sit behind home plate if you want to. And for the White Sox, the plan was always to sign one of the marquee free agents in this class, either Bryce Harper or Machado. They spent basically two years slashing their payroll to accommodate this plan, only to come up short because they decided to lowball an offer instead of, you know, giving him barely any more money that would have got it done. It's just so frustrating, but... Uh, let's not talk about this anymore because if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that nobody cares about the Chicago White Sox, especially not after blowing the Machado deal. There were 17 White Sox fans this morning, and now there might only be 14. So let's move on. Let's get to the Chicago Bulls. We actually have a great guest today with us, Jason. I'm going to say the best writer in the Chicago Bulls online universe I, I don't even know what i'm talking about anymore but that's stefan no from the athletics stefan what's going on man i think i'm gonna get that compliment framed ricky best chicago writer in the online universe very kind words appreciate it that's it man even though some people might refer to you as a blogger from new orleans we all know <laughs> that tried and true you have the grit you have the fire that you know bulls fandom is based off of so we're kind of at a weird point right now at the all-star break uh, Stefan, you wrote something today on, you know, just sort of the Bulls' chances at winning the lottery, at getting Zion Williamson. Uh, I guess we'll just start this off right now, Stefan. Like, what do Bulls fans have to watch for the rest of this season? And, you know, what, why, why should they continue following the team after, uh, you know, this, this tire fire of a season that's been going on thus far? Well, writing this article, I did some research on how many games were left, and I was kind of surprised. There's only 24 games left. The All-Star break was moved back this year. So as far as lottery positioning, which has been the focus for most of the fans, I feel like, the Bulls are basically locked into the fourth worst team. It'll be really hard. It's possible, but it'll be very difficult for them to crack bottom three and then to fall back to five, I think is almost impossible because... The Atlanta Hawks have been really good lately, and they're the fifth-place team, so there's five games separating those guys. Bottom line, they're basically staying at fourth. As as for why you should watch these last 24 games, though, the first uh, chunk of the season was pretty much totally unwatchable. I was uh, very impressed that you guys were able to get some momentum on a Bulls podcast in such a down year, but these last four games with Otto Porter Jr. after that trade which you guys kind of nailed in your analysis. You were pretty high on it, much higher than me and looking right about that. They've just been a completely different team and they've actually been fun to watch. Uh, they've been playing extremely well. They've been getting great development for their young players. So if you haven't watched many Bulls games this year, tune in to one with Otto Porter because it's a completely different experience and it's been way, way better. Yeah, Porter, I was looking up his numbers. It's like it was the last game they played heading into the break that was against the Grizzlies and Porter, he had like th- career-high 37 points, like 16 of 20 shooting. He's, I think he's shooting over 60%. Obviously, there's going to be some regression in the mean there. But, yeah, he's putting up over 20 points a game, shooting great inside and outside. He's been doing a little ball handling as well. I know the defense, Stefan, I know you, you've talked about it, but the defense has been a little lacking. But the entire the defense in general for the whole team has just been kind of a train wreck lately. But, I mean, you mentioned the offense. And, uh, I mean, the Bulls so far in February, I believe they're the third best offense in the league 
it's obviously a pretty small sample size still, but something like 118 points per 100 possessions. They're at like 119, 120 with Otto Porter on the court. And that's it's a, such a far cry from when Jim Boylan took over. And I know you you were one of the most vocal. I know we've been vocal as well. You, you at The Athletic just wrote and on your Twitter account time and time again just how Boylan just the off their slow-paced, just terrible offensive schemes – but now you mentioned that they've been opening things up a bit. They're a bit more fun to watch. What is some of the stuff that you have noticed lately with Porter and even before Porter came on board that, that they've been doing lately that, that has helped open up the offense and make, and make them so much more watchable? Yeah, KC had a really good interview with Boylan over this All-Star break. If you guys haven't read it, if your listeners haven't read it yet, I strongly recommend going over there and checking it out. But what Boylan said is uh, it's all this idea of opening up the pace, multiple ball handlers. So when opponents are missing shots, uh, when Boylan first took over, it was insane. I mean, he was just throwing his hands in the air, telling his point guards to stop and like get the ball up really slowly. Now it doesn't matter who gets a rebound. If it's Porter, if it's Zach Levine, if it's Lowry Markinen, they're just grabbing the ball and sprinting as fast as they can down the court. And that's where the Bulls have a huge advantage. I mean, Lowry Markkinen is so much faster than most fours. Zach Levine is one of the fastest guys on the court. Why you were holding these guys back in the first place did not make any sense. And what I really liked from this KC interview was that Boylan admitted that, that was a mistake. That first week when it was a total disaster, John Paxson was saying things like, people on the outside aren't going to believe this, but this was actually a great week for us. Jim <laughs> Boylan was, uh, when somebody asked if the substitution pattern was embarrassing his players he said that his players were embarrassing themselves that he had to save them from themselves and all this stuff now he's backtracking a little bit he's admitting that you know first week on the job uh, i definitely screwed some things up that he's gotten to the right answer that like we were all begging him to do these changes and then immediately these changes paid off huge dividends i think that's a good thing to look forward to that you know, it's it's very concerning that he just didn't think of this stuff immediately on his own. <laughs> like, they're not – it's like very obvious conclusions that he should have been doing. But you do have to give him some credit that, yes, he finally did get to this point, and now the Bulls are playing so much better and so much more pleasant to watch too. So I give him credit for that. So does this give you confidence, Stefan, that, you know, maybe things are trending up for the Bulls? I mean, we've seen Larry Markinen put together a really impressive stretch over the last month. Porter looks like a really good addition, uh, even if it's not maybe like the big splash that some people uh, unrealistically expected. Uh, you know, people like the three of us have just been so negative for the last few years. We saw today a, a pretty optimistic article on The Ringer by my our friend Jonathan Charks saying that, you know, the Bulls are starting to put together this rebuild in a somewhat impressive way. Uh, do you think things are actually trending up, Stefan? Or do you think that because the same people who put the Bulls in this position continue to be in charge, that uh, as Bulls fans, we should continue to approach this rebuild with, let's say, a little bit more cautious optimism? Oh, things are definitely trending up because they could not have gotten any worse. I mean, the <laughs> Bulls were the total laughing stock of the league. You could make an argument that they were the 30th team. I mean, the worst run franchise. And all of a sudden they make this trade for Porter and he just makes everyone look so much better. And that, you know, that includes Gar and Pex. And I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. You know, a lot of people want them gone, but this definitely does make them uh, look a little bit better and make it seem like this rebuild is 
a little bit back on track. And I, I read that Chark's story today on The Ringer. I agreed with a lot of what he wrote. And um, yeah, you know, it's it just is what it is. You have to give them credit that they they made a hell of a move in that Porter trade. So now with, with the Bulls' offense looking better, and you mentioned the stuff about Boylan, I, I would have to think if they continue looking better that he's definitely probably back then next season because he is under contract. And we've talked about how we think they need to do a coaching search, uh, a real coaching search, and not go with Boylan. Like, like, how would you feel if they bring him back if they keep playing well? Like, is that something you're totally fine with? Do you think they should still, no matter what happens this last quarter of the season, or whatever, they should still go out and do a real coaching search? What What is your thoughts on Jim Boylan's future past this season? I feel really nervous about Boylan. And when he first took over, I'd spoken to him very, very briefly a couple times. I also went back and listened to this very long dunked on interview he did with Nate Duncan that was like 40 minutes. And from all of those impressions, I thought that he was an extremely smart guy, basketball lifer. I really like when these longtime assistants get their chances uh, at NBA coaching like a Tom Thibodeau. I feel like that gives them a ton of time to prepare and they usually do pretty well. So I had this, um, I was very optimistic about Boylan when he first started. And then obviously the first week, he he could not have possibly been worse. And even since then, I mean, it's not like he's done anything crazy. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that is still very troubling about the way that he's coaching this team. Uh, recently, there, there's been a lot more attention, for example, on his, his timeout usage. Like he burns all of his timeouts with like seven minutes left in the game. There's, he'll, he'll take all of his timeout. He'll leave himself one timeout with like nine minutes left. He doesn't really seem to understand the TV timeout rules where you know, you're automatically charged a timeout at certain junk junctures of the game. So that's like a small thing that uh, he can, it seems like he could pretty easily improve. Like Fred Hoiberg was really bad at that too at first. And then Hoiberg learned to save his timeouts to advance the ball. Like when, when you have less than two minutes left, but there's other stuff too. I mean, his rotations are like kind of nonsensical. These bench units that he's assembling just, yeah, they, they have no chance against other teams. But I mean, just again, from where he started before, there's been a pretty vast improvement. So I will say again, I'm back at that cautiously optimistic point. I don't think Boylan is like a huge idiot or anything, but I just do think that there's so many things that he has done that make you a little bit nervous about what he will be like uh, going forward. I feel like he, you say he's not like a huge idiot. Obviously he's not. He, he's clearly like a smart basketball guy. Just, he's, always, he's been around the league for, what I, for a long time. All this, I feel like this, some of the stuff he says though just like drives me just up the wall. Like I feel like he the spirit stuff. And this, this is all like minor stuff probably, but it's like the spirit and the the bulls across the chest stuff. Like it's just so damn meatball. Like that's just probably just me being just petty and like just disliking stupid stuff like that. But just he just, he just hammers that stuff home. Like I, I feel like he has to say spirit like before or after every game. Like it's basically in his contract. I was joking about that the other day. And sometimes some of the stuff he says makes himself sound dumb. I mean, I think he's just maybe he's just bad with the media and whatever. But yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I know like Ricky has been very, very outspoken against Boylan on this podcast before, saying, uh, talking about how they need to, how they definitely need to move on no matter what. Like I still think that it would be in their best interest to at least do a search. Like they could definitely consider Boylan. I feel like this offseason, like they don't definitely have to move on as long as they continue looking better but I definitely still feel like that they should at least go out and look at other candidates Ricky how, have your thought have your uh, feelings changed 
at all about Jim Boylan? Do you still think that they absolutely have to make make a different move this, uh, this offseason, or the or how do you how do you feel about that in general? Uh, of course, I think that Jim Boylan definitely doesn't deserve to coach another NBA game. Still, uh, I get what Stefan's saying about how it is nice to see longtime assistants get their chance, and I have no doubt that Jim Boylan's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know, but. At the same time, uh, I don't really see him being a viable long-term option for the Bulls, you know, the next time they actually are ready to challenge for the playoffs. Uh, So to me, the best thing the Bulls could do would be to hire a young coach this offseason who can, you know, grow with the core. And uh, I know Stefan has vouched, at least privately when I've talked to him, a bit for Luke Walton. Uh, Stefan, I'm wondering, why do you like Luke Walton? Do you do you stick by that? Would you like to see him uh, be the Bulls coach next year? And are there any other names that you think the Bulls fans should already be keeping an eye on, uh, you know, as potential head coaches next season, whether that's realistic or not, given, you know, the front office's attachment to Boylan at the moment? I just think they have to prioritize uh, getting somebody who is really good at player development they don't need this master strategist at this point in their rebuild, some guy who's capable of drawing amazing ATOs or anything like that. They're just way too early in their development. So Luke Walton, the reason why I like him, I don't think he's like the world's greatest coach. He's made a lot of mistakes with the Lakers too, but I thought that he got some really good development in those first two years out of some of those young players. Uh, there's, you know, we we really can't see that much from coaches, especially when it comes to player development, because the practices are closed off to the media. So you just have to kind of go by what uh, other people around the league are saying. I've looked at some of these general manager questionnaires where they say, like, who are some of the best up and coming assistant coaches? Like, who has a good reputation for player development? One guy that I think the Bulls will look at and should probably consider is Adrian Griffin, a longtime player for the Bulls. He was an assistant with Tibbs. Jimmy Butler credited him with helping him develop, and he's gotten a good reputation for that and other stops. I think he's with the Raptors right now, I want to say. Maybe not. He's he also spent some time with the Magic. So another like long-term assistant coach. Uh, yeah, but as far as like picking out somebody who's very good at that, I mean, I just have to go on kind of secondhand knowledge. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm so I'm so bad with like coaching stuff. Just because, like you said, we don't know. Like I know, like I feel like Jerry Stackhouse has been mentioned as a name. Like would they look at like some like Monty Williams, who's kind of a more of a retread, but I know he has has some connections. Like I I'm just I'm I really have no idea. I really have to look more into it as well. Uh, I guess turning away from the coaches and more to some some of the other player development we've seen. I feel like Lowry Markkinen has been amazing lately, and you've you kind of talked about how he's been used more as in terms of like bringing the ball up as more of a playmaker. What is some of the stuff you've seen from Lowry lately? He had like, he's averaging like 25 a game this month and he's also rebounding really well. He's finally uh, handing out some assists as well. That's really never been like a big thing thing of his. What's some of the stuff that you've seen Stefan from Lowry that's really got you encouraged and what, what, what kind of ceiling do you think he's having? Do you think he could be an all-star next year in in Chicago with the all-star game coming to Chicago? Like what do you think about Lowry Markin and his development right now and his overall ceiling moving forward? Yeah, when he first came back from that elbow injury, he started out not slow, but just kind of a little bit uh, less awesome than I think we had all hoped. And what I wrote at the time was like, don't worry about it. This guy is super skilled. It's being held back by the offense. He's going to be fine and figure it out. And it's pretty much exactly what happened. Uh, When Boylan first took over, he was just throwing the ball 
into the post all the time for marketing, and that's not his game. Robin at Lopez all. post ups. Yeah, and I mean he was, <laughs> in he was doing the same yeah. thing with Carter, and unfortunately Carter didn't get the benefit yeah. of playing in this new system. Like he would, Carter would have Rudy Gobert on him, and Boylan would just like burn ten seconds throwing it into the post to Carter, and and then be yelling from the sidelines, "Go to work, go to work." Like he's not going to be able to do anything against a defensive player of the year. That's just like setting him up to fail, and that is exactly what happened. So I, I'm also really high on Carter. His numbers were not amazing, but I think that once he starts playing in like a more up-tempo offense, he's going to experience the same kind of benefits that these other guys have. And as far as Lowry, um, I mean, you mentioned it. It's the transition stuff. They're letting him bring the ball up. They're letting him outrun his guys on the floor. And I think it all goes back to his Finnish coach, Henrik Detman, who came to visit him when he was in that sort of mini slump uh, on that five-game road trip where the Bulls just got destroyed in every single game. And Detman told him, like, listen, like you're a transition player. You got to go out there and run and find your buckets in the open court. And that is exactly what Markkanen did. And then all of a sudden he started stringing together these 30-point games and just crushing people. I don't think people realize like how much better Markkanen has been. He's been like the best sophomore player in probably the last like 10 games. So really impressive stuff from him. And I think he's just going to continue to grow if the Bulls use him correctly. Uh, let's talk big picture here. For a moment, because to me, it seems like, while I don't have the quotes in front of me, every time we hear John Paxson speak to the media, it seems like the scapegoat for this season is going to be Chris Dunn. Obviously, Hoiberg's already been the scapegoat, uh, and now it looks like it's going to be done moving forward. They're constantly talking about, you know, continuing to evaluate Dunn uh, and the need for better point guard play. So, uh, Stefan, do you think Chris Dunn's time in Chicago is limited do you think his days are numbered here and uh you know what what do you make of that i mean i was never really high on chris dunn uh after his rookie year he was arguably the worst player in the nba and for him to go from that point to pretty decent in his second year i was just shocked i mean that's like such a statistical anomaly and credit to it's all the credit to him for making that jump from like probably not an nba player to decent backup and then you hoped from that point he went from decent backup to decent starter and he just hasn't been able to do that I mean that's asking him to make two jumps that are just totally anomalous for a player on his career arc so I think that you know I think he's probably just like a high-end backup and that's fine you know he he's the Bulls still have him cost controlled next year if they don't give him an extension and um, I think they should definitely look either in free agency or the draft to upgrade and from all accounts, I think Casey has reported that they're planning on doing that, which is uh, good for them. Is there anybody in free agency that you would like to see them get at point guard? You know, as far as like, there's, I, I saw something on Real GM today. It was insane. It said like 35 to 40% of the players might be free agents next summer. So, oh, yeah. I think Silver said that over at All Star. Yeah. So there's going to be like a that. lot of players to choose from. I've, I've glanced at the list uh, for point guards in particular. I know a lot of people want Malcolm Brogdon. That would be fine. I'm fine, too, with just doing like a stopgap option at, as a veteran. I know Cowley has reported that they're looking at Ricky Rubio and Darren Collison. Both those guys also fine if you're just doing it for like one or two years. Uh, I, I think that like the Sixers are a really good lesson here, though. They, uh, they struggled with developing their big men because they just had nothing at point guard and they couldn't get the ball into those guys. They couldn't. I mean, big men, a lot of their baskets are assisted, so you really need a competent, you don't need like an amazing point guard. You just need a guy who can run the offense and get things moving. And unfortunately 
Dunn hasn't been able to do that. So if they can just get somebody who's league average at that position, I think that'll make a huge difference both in terms of wins and in terms of development. So that's kind of the plan that I would like to see them go. What about D. Rhodes? <laughs> yeah, that would be my next question, actually. Uh, wondering about free agents to target. A couple guys who are going to be on that list are some former Bulls. Taj Gibson is going to be a free agent. Uh, Derek Rose is going to be a free agent. Joe Kim Noah is going to be a free agent. Do you think there's any chance that the Bulls bring back any of these guys? And is that something you even want to see, Stefan? Or do you think that the Bulls would be better off just letting that bygone area slide into the past? I mean, if they can get some of those guys on the minimum as veteran mentors, then yeah, why not? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on the Rose thing. I don't want to. I don't want you guys to set me up for all these Rose stands to come after me. But I think that they need to. I mean, they've just struck out so much on this cap space plan. I think that they're um, they're just gun shy about it. But what smart teams are still doing is they're renting out their cap space for picks. That's what the Atlanta Hawks are doing. That's what the Brooklyn Nets are doing. And they've set themselves up so well in the future. So the Bulls still have uh, 19 to $20 million in cap space, even though they gave this huge, uh, they absorbed this huge contract of auto border. I would like to see them either go for young players on their second contract with that money or try to absorb bad contracts or picks. And then, as I said before, just try to find cheap stopgap veterans. Don't spend all yeah. 19 million on like, you know, some point guard who, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be too old by the time this time, this team is good to, uh, really contribute. Yeah. I think that would be a big mistake. Yeah, I kind of agree that they that'd be like some like like blood so I I don't even know how much like Rubio is gonna go for, but like yeah, these guys yeah. are just too old. If they can get them for like one or two years, at, right? You know, less than ten million, that's totally fine. But anything more than that, they should stay away. Yeah, I definitely do agree. I feel like they definitely do should not blow all that cash space on like one guy, like thinking, oh, we're one player away from being like legitimately really good, really good team next year. Like whatever, spread that money out. Like you said, try to find some some value guys there. Like I'd I'd be. I'd be totally game with that. And to the D Rose point, don't worry, Stefan. We have both said that me and Ricky have both said that we don't we don't think that the Bulls should sign him. Stay away. Move <laughs> on. I, w- I would I, in terms of Taj, I feel like I'd be game with Taj coming back. I love Taj. I feel like we all love Taj. Like if they could bring back Taj for the minimum, I'd be I'd be totally game with that. I mean, he's, he's obviously getting old at this point. I don't know how much he has left, but I everyone loves Taj. And I mean the Bulls are gonna need some backup big men at this point, considering they've traded away a bunch of guys and Felicio is completely useless so i i would be all aboard the taj taj gibson train he's got a good spirit uh Steph, how much have you dug into draft research at this point i know you're busy covering every bulls game so uh, i wouldn't expect you to focus all of your energy on that but i'm wondering you know if beyond zion williamson is there a player uh that has caught your eye in this draft who you think might be a good long-term fit for the bulls long-term fit um I mean, basically, I, I'm very modest about my draft stuff. I know that people like yourself put so much time into it. And I, I mean, everybody thinks of themselves as a, as a draft expert. I think that's a mistake. It's just what I do is I just like read everything on the step and I read everything that you write, Ricky, and Stan Vecini's podcast, stuff like that. Uh, so I'm just going by what those guys say. And uh, from what it seems like, I mean, all these players, aside from Zion, just have huge concerns so i i am just not super enthusiastic if the bulls don't get that first pick yeah i mean i totally agree i think that there's a massive gap between uh you know the first pick and the second pick in this draft and if the bulls end up getting the second pick 
I don't really think it improves their situation that much. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's still going to be a lot of really good NBA players taken after Zion Williamson in this draft, and it's going to be up to the Bulls to find one of them. Uh, so to me, you know, the Bulls always like sticking their chest out and touting their draft record. Honestly, Garpax has earned that at this point with some of the hits they've had in the draft. To me, it's like they're telling us, you know, you can trust us. We drafted Lowry Markinen. We drafted Wendell Carter, who you guys all love. Trust us with this next pick. Me personally, I'm still hesitant to do that. I think that, you know, there were rumors that the Bulls wanted to trade up for Marvin Bagley. There weren't rumors that the Bulls wanted to trade up for Luka Doncic or Jaron Jackson. So I'm still a little hesitant to fully trust the Bulls. Uh, but Stefan, you know, they have drafted pretty well, uh, you know, over the last decade, even over the last couple of years, while the three of us have been roundly criticizing them for for everything. So, uh, you know, do they deserve the benefit of the doubt, I guess, uh, in terms of making that selection? Uh, I think absolutely not. I mean, I, in my opinion, the draft is just so much based on luck. And there's this, uh, there's this effect. It's called the Wyatt Earp effect. <clears throat> And what it means is just like, if you get 30 teams that are drafting, one of them is just going to look way better than the other ones, just due to randomness, just because like they keep on getting lucky over and over and over again. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I mean, I kind of am saying that's what's happening with the Bulls. I think that you just can't control the draft that much. They even say themselves over and over, you know, you just got to get lucky. You just got to get lucky. Like, you know, that's what we did with Larry Marketing. We didn't think that he was going to be this good. And that's not to... Uh, say anything negative about the Bulls. I think that's true with every team, even the best drafting teams that get hits over and over and over again. There's just so little you can control when you're uh, projecting forward like an 18-year-old kid. There's so much stuff that can go wrong. So, I mean, the Bulls have, uh, you can't take away their draft record. They have drafted way better than their slot for uh, their lottery picks in general. If that's going to continue, I I just, I I don't see any... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> any reason why you should think that's true, especially given like how tiny their scouting department is. I mean, this is a Tom Fornelli joke that I'm stealing here, but they sent their entire scouting department to scout uh, John Morant last game. And it's like just John Paxson, right? I mean, they have like five scouts on staff. It's just like, I, I don't see why they would have this huge edge in drafting aside from, you know, being a little bit savvy. Maybe they, they're a little bit better than other teams, but certainly not where they're dominating or anything like that. I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, and with that strategy of, let's say, you know, if you just look at their draft history, perhaps their strategy is typically valuing uh, veteran college players from big-time programs. Well, you're going to get a Denzel Valentine just as often as you're going to get a Luol Deng, you know, with that philosophy. So at the end of the day, whatever they think they're gaining in terms of an edge, they don't really have. Yeah, and it seems like this draft, too, especially, is just going to be based on luck like the way you guys were talking just was the the tears after Zion just like there's so many of these guys who don't really haven't really stood out uh so many guys were you just have no idea like where they're gonna like if you take a dude like Cam Reddish who's been pretty pretty awful for the most part the last game that Duke played I can't remember who they played but like RJ Barrett had triple double Zion had like 30 points and Cam Reddish was like two of 15 or if you take a dude like whatever, like Romeo Langford or like Jared Cole, like I don't know, like Ricky, you obviously know way more than about us. I'm also I'm with you, Seth, and like I don't watch enough college basketball to really know. Like I've watched a good amount of Duke because Zion is interesting and awesome, and like he's so much better than these other guys. But like some of these other guys, I just, I just have no idea. And you also mentioned Paxson. Uh, 
scouting John Morant. That was that was the game where he was caught basically becoming a meme, right? With that really just yeah. angry looking <laughs> face. Yeah, I, I want. I hope someone asked Pax about that. Pax, do you re- realize that you uh, became a meme when you were scouting John Morant with that just angry ass look on your face? That was that was hilarious. Uh, here's the thing: for all of the talk that the Bulls organization puts into like grit and toughness i think you know at the end of the day a lot of that comes down to or what the bulls are insinuating it comes down to is like mental toughness more so than physical toughness so listening to john paxson give these very tense radio interviews twice over the last couple weeks does john paxson have the mental toughness to continue being in charge of the bulls because to me i see someone who is visibly shaken by the media who feels like he's constantly under attack when in reality he's just paranoid. Uh, I don't know if John Paxson has the grit and the toughness required to do his job. <laughs> I, I think you're begging for this uh, face-to-face confrontation that <laughs> <laughs> you've been uh, asking for on Twitter. If you, if you keep on going down that line, Pax might actually take you up on that. Yeah. What I really want is to do a push-up contest against Jim Boylan. And if I win, he can't be the coach <laughs> next year. And if he wins, he can be, I feel like that's, that's totally fair. Jim Boylan's a far superior athlete than anything I've ever been, but I also only weigh like 145 pounds. So I kind of have that advantage on him. Boylan, if you're listening, I will challenge you to a push-up contest for the right to coach the Bulls next year. I feel like Jim Boylan seems like probably kind of like a beast, or like just like a crazy man. He could probably go, go yeah, wild. I'm, Ricky, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking Boylan in that push-up contest. Yeah, easily. Uh, might be close. Easily. <laughs> All right, then I'm going to move on to my next question, Stefan, now that you've dashed my hopes and dreams athletically. Uh, <laughs> true or false, the number one problem with the Bulls isn't Garpax. It's the cesspool of negativity fueled by Nick Friedel <laughs> and other click farms. True or false? That is way too much of an inside joke. I, I don't think your listeners are going to get that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest problem actually is ownership, and then Gar and Pax are second. Yeah, Ricky, that was a deep cut. I totally I had totally forgot about that yeah. until I think Stefan, you might have brought that up the other day. Well, and I don't want to get you know yeah. too inside the weeds here, but it's basically just like they're is a small fraction of Bulls fans who certainly are not listening to this podcast. Let's acknowledge that right away. Who think that, you know, because the conversation around the team tends to be so negative that it, you know, only makes the franchise look worse. The easy way to combat that is saying, you know, the Bulls make themselves look bad and we're just kind of shining a light on it. Actually, that's a, that's a good kind of point, Ricky. Just the perception thing I feel like has been a big, uh, big topic of convo that I feel like Paxson has been very defensive about the Bulls just negative perception like national media national media just around the country just around the NBA I feel like a lot of people think the Bulls are a bit of a laughing stock and just think very poorly of the organization in general how things are run uh Bobby Portis comments recently after his trade I feel like did did not help that at all where he kept trying to say that uh he's he's like said great things about the Bulls like oh they're they're so welcoming blah, 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 like it was great playing there. But then in, when he talked about the trade, he also basically threw Gar Foreman under the bus, basically insinuating that Gar Foreman lied to him about uh, the trade conversations, that Gar Foreman said that, oh, you're not going to be traded unless like a superstar like LeBron or Kevin Durant uh, comes in. And then also talked about how he didn't think the trade was handled the right way. So he was kind of talking about both sides of his, 
mouth. Like, well, he was trying to be nice. So it kind of like slipped out that maybe he didn't appreciate how they handled his whole trade request. I guess, Stefan, like, do you, do you think the Bulls like perception thing like is a big problem? Like, do you think players talk about like not wanting to play for the Bulls? Like, do you think players like just don't have a good, or just like agents, players, all coaches like around the league. Do you think that is an actual problem for the Bulls and like, and them drawing free agency? Not, obviously that's not going to be as big a deal this year since they don't have as much cap space. But like if they want to acquire superstars moving forward, whether it's through free agency or otherwise, like do you think the perception thing is an actual problem? I hate when John Paxson talks about that stuff and it comes off like people are just picking on him or something. I mean, the fact is that he's done a terrible job and when he does smart moves like this Justin Holiday trade that was, I think that was the second best trade he's ever done behind the Eddie Curry deal. Like everybody was happy about it. Everybody was giving him praise. When the Bulls make this trade for Otto Porter and the team starts playing awesome, I mean, there's a lot of positive press after that. KC had this story about Boylan uh, you know, looking a lot better. Joe Cowley in the Sun-Times had a story today about how the Bulls are probably going to keep boiling because he's been doing a good job. I wrote something at The Athletic about how much better the Bulls have looked recently. So for him to have this idea, and Doug Collins said this too when they hired him, that the Bulls have been like a pinata. Everyone's just taking shots at them. It's not taking shots. I mean, the stories that I write about the Bulls that are negative, I'm simply listing out facts, like the moves that they have done, and just putting them in a simple list makes them look so bad that people think that I'm being scathing or something like that. It's not. It's just (laughs) reflecting what they're doing. And when they make better moves, then that stuff is all going to stop. So he should just focus on that and not worry about any of the other stuff. And that's the same for free agents. I mean, if the Bulls clean up their act, if they look like they're on the upswing, it's what they're doing with Otto Porter, then free agents are going to want to come to a team like that that is on the rise and has young players. So I I think that they're doing the right things now, and that should be the focus. Yeah, it always annoys me when, like, there is obviously, like, Ricky mentions, like, a bit of the fan base, like, whatever, the C-Red fans, whatever you, whatever you want to call them, that will complain about you, you, us, being too negative about the team. It's like, dude, we're, we don't want to be negative. We've said this before. Like, we're, we're, we're big Bulls fans here. Like, we don't want to be negative about everything. Like, and we've been very positive lately. We've been positive about the Porter stuff, about and how they look lately. And we've been positive about this podcast for the most part. Like, we want them to look better. We will talk about them if they're better, like. Some people complain about us being too negative and like you're not fake fans. It always just really grinds my gears. And when, and when Paxson says that stuff as well, it's just like, like we'll we'll give you credit, guys. Like if you, if things go well, but it's like we need. You've been around for whatever 15, 16 years now. However you've long you've been around, they haven't been to a finals. It's like we want we want to see that happen. Like if the Bulls go to the finals with Garpax. Like I've I've said on this podcast before. Like I'll gladly eat shit. Totally, I will meet a couple. Like it's. I, I'll give them all the credit in the world, but like until that happens and until they prove that they can be consistent winners, we're going to tell it like it is. And I know you, you you do that. You do that unabashedly. You say you're one of the best Bulls writers out there. We basically mention you on every pot, every pot. <laughs> great stuff. So it was like, it was about time. We, we finally had you on here, but it's totally with you there. And it's just like, I just want, I, I hope, I hope this trend, this trend keeps going because it's, it's been a rough couple years now with a lot of a lot of the bullshit that, that we've put up with lately. So hopefully the trend keeps keeps pointing up towards the end of the season into next year. And I guess on that point, like going, I just had looking forward to maybe a quick look to, to maybe to next season. Like if like they do keep looking better now, and if they make whatever it's, it's small moves like we've talked about, bring in some small free agents, maybe add a decent point guard, like. Do you think that they could possibly be a playoff team next year? Like, do you think would do you think there's any possibility they can make a, a Sacramento Kings like jump? Just 
and and I, was, I, was, I don't know. Was there, there's so many people that have just thought that might have come this year, and I thought maybe they'd be a little better this year and they'd be a lot more fun. Obviously, it's not going like that. Do you think maybe that jump could come next year where they could be possibly a, a playoff contender? I think they definitely can, but I don't think that should be the focus. And Bulls fans, the bar has just been set so, so low. I mean, even when the Bulls make yeah. just a normal move, it like this Justin Holiday thing, I said it was the second best trade that Pax has ever done. And it was a good trade, but I mean, this is like a standard trade for most other teams. And same thing with this Otto Porter deal. I mean, like it would just be another trade for some other GM, but you know, we're, we're loving it. We're giving them probably more praise than they deserve. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> when you trade away Jimmy Butler, if the goal, if you're ecstatic when the team gets the eighth seed in the playoffs, I just think that's so misguided because they could have done that very easily if they had just kept Jimmy Butler, you know, like just build around him. They had a bunch of cap yeah. space. They could have signed complimentary players and just done that. So the goal here should be to build a team that can at least get out of the second round of the playoffs uh can they do that with this current core i mean probably not they still don't have a superstar that's like the reason why again they traded jimmy butler they have to find a way to do that but uh i mean of course it would be nice to watch playoff basketball again and yeah i think they're not that far away from getting there that was exactly what i was going to say Seth, and that it all comes back to the butler trade it's like the further removed we get from that people are going to forget that the reason the Bulls moved on from Butler was, first of all, they didn't want to pay him this summer on this contract. And because they thought they had a glass ceiling on their team with Butler, well, now you look at it and LeBron moved to the West. Uh, The Warriors dynasty could be breaking up after this year if Durant goes to the Knicks like everyone expects. Uh, You know, everything I feel like just continues to be a referendum on the Butler trade and uh, we, people like us need to remember that because if the Bulls do see improvement next year, if they do make the playoffs, but they do it at the cost of what would appear to be, you know, the best long-term solution for the franchise, then it's not really a win to me. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think that like the rebuild has just gone so far south at the beginning of this year that uh, the the goalposts have kind of moved. And I mean, I understand why when you just. <laughs> are getting destroyed every single game for like a year and a half. It seems like the playoffs are this oasis. And if you can just get there, you'll be fine. But I think it is important to keep in mind that, you know, the, these guys should be held to a higher standard. I mean, this is a great city. This is, they're making so much money off this team. They've had so many opportunities. They have the backing of management of, of ownership, which most management teams don't have. Most management teams are, making win-now moves to try to save their jobs. I mean, the Bulls have every competitive advantage when it comes to that stuff. So you need to expect more from this team. Uh, On the last Zach Lowe podcast, he was with Dan Devine, and they argued that the Bulls do not deserve to get Zion Williamson because the fan base hates their own team too much. Stefan, I would argue (laughs) that that's why the Bulls do deserve to get him, because despite... A constant parade of bullshit that the fans have been hit with over the last, I don't know, two decades. Bulls fans still are number two in the league in attendance. They're still buying a ton of merchandise. They're showing out. The Bulls is a brand, no matter what John Paxson and Gar Foreman do, will never be tarnished that much in terms of, you know, the people who really love this franchise and uh, who grew up with them. So... Stefan, do you think the, that the Bulls don't deserve to get Zion Williamson because the fan base is too negative? Or you know, do you want to make a, a plea for why the Bulls do deserve to get him? 
<laughs> you didn't even mention that you got name dropped on the low post podcast for was it the second week in a row? Yeah, but <laughs> this isn't about as far as that whole thing. That. I mean, I think that Bulls fans, and yes, they are yeah. extremely jaded right now. But you have to keep in mind that these fans are so insanely loyal. Uh, when the team was terrible after Jordan kept on selling out the stadium. I mean, you said the attendance numbers right now. And, uh, you know, Darnell Mayberry, our beat writer at The Athletic, he started on this beat uh, right after they traded Jimmy Butler. So he's just used to, I mean, the fans just complaining all the time and saying fire guard packs and all this stuff. But if you were around for those Thibodeau years, City was totally electric. I mean, people loved those teams. When the Bulls give you some tiny glimmer of hope some reason to follow this team the fans are insane they're so rabid they're so great i mean you can just you know find people walking around the city with a bull's hat and strike up a conversation when the team is good so i think that just give us something here you know like the front office just has to give us something to hold on to and the fans will follow i promise you that all right. Darnell wrote that great piece on the 2010-2011 Bulls and like obviously found out just like how beloved those teams were just do, doing that piece. And I mean, not even just Chicago, you talk about fans like going on like worldwide brand because of Michael Jordan. Like I feel like you hear stories where you go whatever out of the country, out of the place and you see Bulls jerseys everywhere. Like that's why like that's another reason why you mentioned talking about like keeping them the higher standards. Like they're such a big, just the brand in general and like they're so popular just everywhere. Like they just should, they need to be run they need to be run like that like the worldwide brand that they are and that's why we are so hard on them because we we hold them to a high standard and when you don't when you when it's been however long that they've this front office has been around and they've never been to a finals that's why we complain about it yeah i have a crazy hypothetical i want to talk about because i did some i spent some time researching uh lebron's free agency today in 2010 after the bulls or after the White Sox, I'm sorry, whiffed on Manny Machado. And I'm remembering an interview LeBron gave with, I believe, Bleacher Report, his like undisputed uh, vehicle, where he talked about, you know, growing up being a Bulls fan. Uh, you go back to 2010 and read the clips from that time. And everyone said, you know, the Bulls are the biggest uh, suitor to lure LeBron away from Cleveland. Of course, I don't know if anyone expected Miami to land all three of those guys at the time when it looked like the Bulls would be the biggest challenger. But uh, Stefan, is there an alternate reality where the Bulls run themselves like the big market uh, Titan that they are, where, you know, they would have signed LeBron James, if not the year he went to Miami, then maybe this past off season when he joined a Lakers team that really didn't have much in the cupboard. Of course he had, you know, off the court interest there too, but Am I crazy to think that there could be an alternate reality where the Bulls could have signed LeBron if they actually took themselves seriously uh, as an organization? I mean, you look back at that summer and LeBron tells a story about Pat Riley approaching him in a meeting and dumping out all of his championship rings on the desk. And then there's Gar Foreman and John Paxson who are telling him about cap flexibility and the practice facility. <laughs> like, yes, I think that if they had better salesmen, if they had more charismatic leadership if they had made a plan to show these guys that they could get all three of those guys in Chicago yes like they would have had a better chance for sure would they have gotten them I don't know but uh, I definitely think that like with a different management team they would have had a better opportunity to do so
Yeah, that is classic Pat Riley. And I saw Pat Riley today was talking about LeBron and him leaving again, and he's going to stick around forever. Fucking Pat Riley is old as shit at this point. But yeah, I, I think Bulls probably was it was a Boozer. It might have even been LeBron or Wade was also talking about like their sweet like PowerPoint presentations. It's like Pat Riley just talking about winning rings, and the Bulls are giving out like iPads and PowerPoints, or whatever whatever the hell it was. I guess one of the last things I want to ask is just back to one of the specific players. I can't remember what you and just about their long-term future is an important player. I can't remember what you wrote about Zach Levine when the Bulls matched his four-year $78 million offer sheet. What have you made of Zach Levine's season? How are you feeling about him moving forward, about him being a long-term piece? Do you think he's a guy that they should definitely keep around and build around as one of their whatever like second or third best players? Do you think they should look to shop him anytime in the future? Because he's been playing really well lately, at least offensively. He's been him and Lowry have been really dominant, but they've been finding a bit a nice bit of a groove together. What have you made of Zach Levine's season as in general and just him moving forward? I think that is incredibly interesting to see what happens with Levine. I was not a fan of matching that offer. Um, but you know, he's he's played pretty well. I think that uh definitely improved a ton from last year. What I find so interesting about it though is uh, you're starting to see a lot of similarities between what happened with Jimmy Butler and Fred Hoiberg. I don't think it's nearly at that level yet where the Bulls basically had to choose between one of those two guys, right? And they chose Hoiberg. Yeah. But you're seeing Levine with these comments about, you know, thank God we're running faster. And, you know, when they were getting destroyed, like what's changed? I mean, obviously he was talking about Boylan, right? So Boylan has to walk a very fine line here because I think that if the Bulls choose between Levine and Boylan, obviously they're picking Levine. I mean, Boylan is like so easily replaceable. Uh, Again, like I don't think their relationship is at that level yet. And when you have seen more recent quotes from Levine, he is talking about how you can see how hard Boylan works, how he respects that. I was trying to help him and stuff. So, uh, but I think that, that is going to be something to monitor where um, Boylan is going to have to depend on Levine and get the most out of him if he wants to stay the coach of Chicago. You mentioned those quotes that he just said. It's, it's kind of funny. Here's the total thing, at least from Casey's tweet. It says, you definitely see how much he cares. He's very passionate, competitive. I got to give him that. I feel like that's almost like, oh, at least he does that. Like he puts the work and he, how hard he works. But I feel like there's that's definitely kind of still like, he's still not totally bought in there. And It seems like there has been just that whole... There've been there've been some some drama, and I think he's called him out almost not specifically, but he's definitely alluded to and basically just kind of called him out after and when they were really struggling before. So totally totally agree with you there. That's gonna be really interesting to see moving forward, especially if Zach Levine continues to be just kind of a like offense only one way type player. Like, and if they if they look if they try to make some type of upgrades on the wingers, also, I'll be curious to see how how they how they deal with that moving forward. Uh, do we, I'm just curious, do we have a favorite Boylanism? <laughs> from Jacked and Juiced. I'm going to go with Jacked and Juiced. Yeah, don't steal mine, Jason. That's like, I, like I said before, I, I do find it hilarious that he uh, talks about spirit, but like no matter what, like he's going to talk about spirit. Uh, obviously, Bulls across the chest is a big one. Stefan, do you have a favorite out of out of all of these? I thought the Wolfpack thing was funny. He only said it once, but he talked about how the Bulls are like a Wolfpack. It was like straight out of the movie The Hangover. So I, I just love that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I got one more for you, Stefan. The leadership committee. Was this all total bullshit from the very start? Does the leadership committee <laughs> still exist? Did the leadership committee ever exist? And, you know, if it didn't, don't the Bulls deserve to be hammered for that? For, you know, pushing this 
towards the fans in response to the reports of a mutiny. Like the fact that we haven't heard anything about the leadership committee since that happened would lead me to believe that, you know, this probably never was a thing and the Bulls were lying through their teeth. I think it's crazy that nobody has written about this yet because if the first person that does, it's going to get like a million page views. People are (laughs) way more interested in the leadership committee than the actual team. I promise you that. And uh, I've seen like in some of these uh, live stream press conferences or like post game stuff that reporters will try to mention it and the players just totally deflect, deflect, deflect. So I think they know that it's like kind of a joke. It's kind of, it was embarrassing, like as immediately right after they came up with the idea and you're just not going to get to the bottom of that story. I feel Speaking like. of the mutiny, you guys see that Lowry made a mutiny joke using a Simpson gif uh, also week, and I thought that was pretty hilarious. Lowry's a, Lowry's a funny guy. Yeah, Lowry's got a little edge to him. I like it. I like, Ricky, did you see that? I thought it was pretty fucking hilarious. I didn't. I need to look that up. Okay, it was like uh, I can't. I think it was like in a convo with Luca and Dirk during like uh, their pra- their rising stars practice, and I think so. So something about a practice and. Lowry had a Simpsons gift and something about a, a, a mutiny. And it's like, at least you can have a good sense of humor about it. And I guess to wrap up here, I guess did anybody, do you guys watch any of the rising stars game uh, or any of the all-star stuff? Lowry did play in the rising stars game. He was like the only, the only bulls player since Zach was in the slam dunk contest. He was really the only bulls player representing the bulls uh, in Charlotte. And he had, uh, I think 21 points. He had some pretty sweet dunks. He had a nice hookup with Luka Doncic. He had a nice windmill in transition. Did you guys, watch any of the rising stars or any of the three point dunk contest or the game itself. Yeah. I, I had it on in the background no. and um, yeah, I think the most interesting part of all-star festivities in general is just the amount of recruiting that goes on from other players. I saw like a cry on oh, yeah. today on TV. I didn't have the volume on, so I don't know exactly what the story was, but it's something like Bradley Beal was recruiting players for the wizards. And I hope Laurie is doing that. I think that's, one of the most important factors of getting these guys invited. I mean, it seems stupid to uh, get an invite to like the rising stars challenge or the skills competition or whatever. And think it's a big deal, but I think it does really help. Like, especially with a guy like Jimmy Butler, you see these relationships that he's built uh, from being on team USA and being in all-star games. I went to the all-star game they had in new Orleans. And I mean, he was just like talking to the other players and like joking around with them constantly. And now when he sees a guy like Deandre Jordan, like he just, beelines right to him and uh you know like just jokes around with him and stuff I, I think that stuff makes a huge difference so hopefully the bulls do get some guys on the all-star team or at least like some of these surrounding events and they can keep on doing that uh Stephen, will you be attending fire gar packs night which none of us compacts <laughs> and did <laughs> i didn't even know about it until uh packs mentioned it on the radio <laughs> i didn't either what the heck <laughs> Well, I'll represent the podcast if no one else will. On that one. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can. We can. Uh, I'll donate the four dollars it costs for a ticket to go to that game, Ricky. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, also, did you? Uh, speaking of also, did you? Did you enjoy Michael Reinsdorf's uh, sweet hoodie that he was wearing? Apparently, the Bulls front office management really just loves wearing hoodies in these professional settings these days. I think Garden <laughs> Packs had some sweet hoodies on at their Otto Porter press conference, and now we got Michael Reinsdorf out as Michael Jordan is is passing the passing the torch for the All-Star game because the All-Star game will be in Chicago next year. Michael Reinsdorf just wearing a sweet, sweet hoodie out there looking looking real awkward. I can't really hate on him because, you know, I wear sweatpants 99% of the time working from home. and As do I. I, I, mean, I guess I'll give him some credit for just like going with uh, comfort instead of worrying about uh, whatever professionalism. 
I go for comfort all the time. I know people talk about like going on airplanes and like you shouldn't wear sweatpants. You should dress nice. Like I say, screw that. I'll I'll wear my sweatpants and my hoodies. So I guess credit to them for going the comfort route instead of instead of wearing suits. Yeah, I did. I did think it was really funny though. Uh, so they introduced Michael Reinsdorf. The stadium was totally silent. They were like, "Why is this guy? <laughs> why is this guy like in the center of the court?" And then they introduced Jordan. The place completely erupted. Uh, and then they did this thing you're talking about, where uh, Jordan handed Michael Reinsdorf this basketball with like a Chicago logo on it or something. And if you're watching on International League Pass, you can see the whole thing. And they're walking off the court, and then Michael Reinsdorf says to somebody like what am i supposed to do with this uh talking about the basketball <laughs> just like hands it off to some staffer or something i thought that was pretty funny uh lastly i want to shout out c red fred who went on an epic bulls pro bulls rant on bulls outsiders last night uh you can check that out our boy gustavo vega he's always watching he posted it on twitter uh this afternoon but you know fred says that he's going to be driving a big red bus through Grant Park for championship number seven. His dream of being a bus driver could one day come true. Do you believe it, Stefan? Will we see banner number seven within, I'm going to go the next 10 years? Will we see it, Stefan? I am a huge C-Red fan, uh, C-Red Fred fan. I think that we could all benefit from a little bit of uh, unhealthy, unrealistic optimism. (laughs) So I hope so. I will be there uh, right alongside Fred. Uh, People will be throwing eggs at me, telling me that I don't deserve a seat, but I will be there anyway. And I'll be thrilled that the Bulls have uh, finally gone to the promised land. I would still lean towards no, but I'm sure as hell would love to see it. Damn it. I mean, we would, I would love, I was, was, we were all so, so young when the Bulls dynasty was happening where we watched it. I could could kind of enjoy it, kind of knew what was happening. It'd be so much more fun now to, to really enjoy it and dig into a championship team. All right, well, uh, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Stefan, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say as well. Stefan, where can we find all your work, your Twitter, all the all that good stuff? Yeah, you can follow me at Stefano. That's S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. If you want to know the latest thing that I've been writing, just listen to the Cash Considerations podcast, and I'm sure you guys will <laughs> drop a reference yeah. to it. <laughs> and of course, subscribe to The Athletic if you've not done so yet. I would concur with that. The Athletic's great. I have a subscription myself. So much great contact, even content, even just past the Bulls, just around the country. You get all the good stuff. It's, it's so worthwhile. It's so worth your time. Uh, so Stefan, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Thanks so for the coming on the Cash Consideration Podcast, which is part of the Blue Wire Blue Wire Network. We actually just added a new podcast, to the Blue Wire Network. We got a Clippers one coming now, so we've been we've been adding a bunch lately. Uh, we got I think we got a few more coming up in March, so that so that should be pretty awesome. Uh, so besides that, we uh, the Bulls have their next game coming out of the All Star break on. Friday, I believe it's at the Orlando Magic, who've actually been pretty hot lately. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, and we will then be back next week. So from Jason, Ricky, and it was great to have Stefano on. Thanks for listening to Cash Considerations. Have a good one, everybody.